Welcome everyone to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. That's me, I'm Melissa Floyd, and today we have another interview, continuing our series on nurses, and we've, you know, had a lot of different perspectives so far, and we'll continue to do that, but this is something I just think is so worth discussing, talking about the pandemic, talking about COVID, talking about our mitigation strategies and how it's affecting people across the country and uh, who best to give you that information but people that work with patients directly and have been in patient care as their career. So today we're going to talk to another nurse and she's not going to be anonymous and I'll let you have her contact information at the end of the episode. Her name is Danielle. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited. Now, it's funny because I'm not going to assume that any of these nurses actually are listeners of my show because a lot of them aren't. A lot of them don't know me, but were recommended by friends. So I'm not going to assume that you were already a listener. If you were, that's bonus points. But if not, don't worry. <laughs> I'm happy that you're here. <laughs> that's awesome. I actually was recommended and I do follow on Instagram. So I have, I see your stuff all the time, which is awesome. But yeah, the podcast, I'll have to start listening to more. That's for sure. Yeah. So I have two different podcasts. And for those listening that don't know that also, this is obviously one of them, what they aren't telling you. And the second one is the vaccine conversation with Dr. Bob Sears. And we've done that for two and a half years or so. And both of these have, you know, great reach in over 150 countries, which is amazing. And, you know, getting to thousands and thousands of people who want to have the difficult conversations and one of the difficult conversations over this last year and couple months has been COVID because it's just it's just hard to go about your life without really checking in to see how this has impacted you. And not just in a way that a virus would impact things, but in my mind, the way that the mitigation strategies have impacted um, have impacted us and and what the science really is or isn't to back all of this up. I mean, it does kind of seem like you know, we've handled this differently than anything else ever before. Did the virus warrant this? That's the real question. And that's why I continue to have those kinds of questions and conversations because, you know, I just think it's it's worth discussing it. And I don't think we should be silenced on any of this stuff, especially not the complicated topics like this. So we have this series talking with nurses because, again, all we hear on TV is Fauci as the one medical expert to deal with all things related to COVID. And you've got a lot of medical professionals coming out that have said things, you know, like that this this just doesn't seem right, things aren't really adding up, or our hospital didn't look like this, or we just shouldn't be responding this way. We're having all these unintended consequences, all the collateral damage, and and our children and the elderly and all the people that are affected by all this stuff. Those voices tend to get silenced, but they're the most important voices, I think, in all of this, like I said, because of the patient care. So we're going to continue that conversation. And the first thing I want to know, Danielle, is what is your background? You've been a, you were a nurse for over 10 years. You're now a former nurse. What was your medical background? What was your specialty? What kind of areas did you work in? Yeah, so I went to um, Penn State University for my bachelor's of science in nursing. And then I immediately moved out to California and worked there. I'm not going to say hospitals because I don't want to put any of that, but I worked there in high-risk labor and delivery right away, and then I did travel nursing. So I've actually worked all over the country, which is a great experience because I've seen how different it can be from coast to coast with private doctors versus residents and how different those hospitals are. 
So I was in that specialty for 10 years. I absolutely love working with pregnant women. I have three babies of my own now, and I left the field because it just morally was no longer, it didn't vibe with with me and my energy. And I wanted to help women before they went to the hospital. I wanted to help them understand what they were going to experience through labor, how to have a more comfortable pregnancy, how to know that they are in charge of their labor and delivery experience. And so many women and people in general forget that they are in charge of their experience while doctors are there to recommend and guide and and kind of give their expertise, quote unquote, right? It really is our decision-making and we are the ones who make the final decision as a patient. And the nurses are a huge advocate. I loved being a voice. I have, through my years as a nurse, have said no to doctors when it was not safe for a patient. And I've had to say to doctors, you can do it if you'd like to, I won't be doing it because that is not something that is safe. And we have protocols that we go by and we have safety measures and guidelines for our patients. So I was a huge patient advocate and now I do doula work so that I can help women without having the politics of the hospital and I can help them during their labor and delivery experience. And so speaking of politics and administration issues kind of on the hospital system and the way that things are done and kind of the way that the medical establishment tends to approach everything, there's always a protocol in place. It doesn't seem to be very mm-hmm. individualized, especially in the bigger facilities. When when something like COVID comes along and we're in a state of complete chaos and panic, and then certain policies are added without really any background to them being the right fit for those things, the right treatment for those things. And you have nurses and doctors speaking out saying, wait a second, this is, you know, trying to advocate for their patients, just like you're talking about saying this is not the right course of treatment. And in this case, one of the examples obviously would be the use of ventilators at the beginning of all of this. And, you know, doctors and and nurses saying, hey, this is not the right course of treatment. But there being these policies in place that were really difficult to override and, and finding people, you know, the healthcare workers having a hard time advocating for their, their patients. You mentioned this just even just in the birth experience. And then imagine now in a state of complete chaos during a pandemic and having that same thing, but exacerbated because you have patients not able to really advocate for themselves and not be able to have family members that were in there mm-hmm. advocating for them. It really brought to light, I think, that discussion about the ethics of what that role is in being a support system as a nurse and advocating for patients, which I think is such an important thing. And it sounds to me like you're probably the type that would not have been totally okay had you been working in the hospital system during all of this, seeing what was going on. Yeah, this would not have been, not only would have not been an easy situation, but I see the nurses who have stood up and said, this is not right, and I would be right there. And anyone who knows me knows that as well. I had a baby right before all of this. So my third child was born January 28th. And I remember in, I think it was December, right around the holiday, saying to my husband, I was like, something is not right. I'm like, people are sick in such a weird way right now. Mm. And we are very... um, we try to be holistic and clean and like, we're not perfect, but we really aim for a healthy living and lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. I share those 
with people all the time, even before this hit. So when you come to the politics of not having an advocate at the bedside, nurses are a patient advocate, especially when family can't be there. Right. But when the family is removed and there's no choice and you spread the nurses so thin that they probably don't even have the opportunity to be the advocate like they should be, mm -hmm. right? And you start to risk people missing things. And this is what you've heard from so many nurses that diagnoses were being missed. Things were being missed because everything became COVID. And it was so distracting that they almost lost what their everyday knowledge was, what their years of experience were, because it's something that came out of nowhere. And there were protocols that they had never been in place before. Seeing nurses and doctors geared up, masked up, gowned up for every single patient all day long is not the norm, right? right. And it's not something that people were ready for. So I was shocked when people didn't even have the option to be at their family's bedside. Even if you sign something saying that the hospital's not at risk, right? Like, hey, we're not at risk, but if you want to be here, that's your choice. That is where the ethics came into play because things were missed. I've been telling people from the get-go, if your family member passed away, if they were in the hospital, you need access to that chart. You need to see what was done and if it was properly done because the odds are it was not. Right. And that kind of leads me to a general kind of question now that we go back to the beginning of this and even after, from your standpoint as a medical professional, do you think that the fear surrounding COVID and this entire pandemic was warranted? I don't believe it was warranted. I do believe in the beginning because I had a baby. So my mindset was different. I do remember in the beginning thinking, and personally, I was like two weeks, like, let's just, you know, but I said to my husband, the only way this will work is if literally everything is shut down. Like if the entire, if it can't be shut down, everything, literally everything, then it doesn't make sense to do it at all. Right. Because we're all going to be exposed at one point. Right. Exactly. So because it was so unknown, I was like, okay, like if we can, if we can slow things down, if we can, okay, that makes sense. But it only made sense if everything could be. And that wasn't it. My husband's been working since the, he's, he hasn't been out of work, you know, and there are so many people that are like that. So I think in the beginning, that fear and that hesitation was like, okay, but right away, so many doctors learned a lot about this right away. Doctors were finding things that could help it, that could slow it down, that could prevent it. And right away, those ventilators were obvious at an 80% death rate in right. April and May. It was very clear that that was not the right route for this virus. Right. And so for you being somebody who's no longer a nurse in that way anymore, you know, as far as in that field mm -hmm. and you're not having to deal with it directly. I'm sure people were still coming to you or people that knew you asking mm -hmm. for your opinion on what's going on. Like, are you scared? Do you think this virus is whatever? Like, you know, because they're going to assume you've got the medical expertise. Right. Were people coming to you? Were they scared? And what kind of conversations were you having early on? Did you also feel that fear? You know, it was a mix of both. And I feel like I helped to put a lot of people at ease because of all the things that we do, I just said, hey, here are the things to do. Stay away from hand sanitizer, do soap and water, you know, change your toothbrush frequently. We have an air um, purification system in our home that's 
water-based. I said, I highly recommend looking into it, you know, just sharing those things. But the one thing that I heard a lot of, and it was quite shocking, a lot of people, and I know you hear it, it's like, educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself. Or do you have a medical background? I'm like, yeah, I do. Like there's experience here. And I now work in the health and wellness industry, you know, helping people live healthy and fit. And tons of people came to me and said, I can't believe you're being so vocal about this with your background and Mm -hmm. with your rank in your business. And I thought, I'm sorry, what? Like, this is how I live every day. I'm not saying things that I don't follow myself, Right. right? And this is what I teach people. And I would remind them, look at the people who are telling you not to fear this virus. Look at the people who are telling you that our immune system and our body is an amazing thing that knows how to respond and react and, and heal. They're all living the life they're, they're recommending to you, and none of them are sick. And I think that was the most mind-boggling. People who knew me really well were like, I can't believe you're speaking up about this. And it was like, really? I mean, I'm vocal on everything. Why would I not speak up about this? Yeah, how could you not, though? I mean, right. And I said, I can't believe so many people in the medical field are giving the thumbs up, are giving the okay, right. are giving the this is this is okay. Like, no, this should be shaking you in your boots. This should be making you think twice about, and it did. It made a lot of people think twice about going to the hospital, about going to the doctor, you know, about getting checked, which was also another downfall because when people needed it, they didn't have trust in the system. They exactly. didn't know what they were putting themselves at risk for. So it, it's definitely a huge unknown and a, a huge change and difference. But the fear, the fear was put there and it was not necessary. And I think the fear is what had the biggest impact on most people. I think so too. And obviously that makes people more susceptible to illness being in that state, yeah. especially for the long term. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I was really frustrated by was the lack of discussion on actual health. Yes. Like you've got these conferences every single day with your governor or, you know, with the, you know, national leadership or, you know, Dr. Burks or Dr. Fauci. You have these press conferences like almost every day mm-hmm. and like never, never one time do they talk about vitamin D. Never one time were they nope. talking about you know, decreasing your sugar intake right, and improving your own health. And so people just sat at home, scared as can be, eating more drive-through, more crap food, right. like less movement, less sunshine, less activity and, and, you know, happiness that comes from social interaction. Yep. All those things were taken away and they wanted to blame the people who didn't stay home. Well, and, you know, they closed the gyms, which was also a, it's like, okay, that's the health factor, right? And that's my... So I transitioned from the RN world. I have, I'm certified as a personal trainer and a performance enhancement specialist. And I have my master's in exercise physiology. And the one thing I remember, and I say to people all the time, the most important thing is oxygen flowing through your body. It is oh my the gosh, I know. most healing agent and we all have it, <laughs> you know? So when all of this happened, it's like, if you're getting less oxygen, if you're not getting this fresh air, like it is the most healing agent in your body. If you can stop, close your eyes, breathe, and literally watch the oxygen move through your lungs to your pain point, to your 
your sick areas to where your weaknesses are, you wouldn't believe how much of an impact that would have to the healing in your health. And most people don't believe it because it seems too simple. It doesn't seem possible. Well, yeah, the same thing with vitamin D, right? Like, right. oh, but that it can't be that simple. But you're like, but 80% of people in the ICU or the hospital admissions were vitamin D deficient. Right. Like, it can be that simple. Yes, it can. Sometimes it is, and it doesn't have to be a huge procedure. But but our leaders, our medical you know, examples, were not having that discussion. Not once were they saying, guys, you might want to stay away from Dairy Queen. Right. You might want to stay out, you know, away from In-N-Out. If you're already dealing with weight, because, hey, obesity is a big factor here, and we want to limit the amount of people that are having issues, hypertension, diabetes, all the things that were causing people to get to the hospital in the first place. And on that, Melissa, one thing that changed for us, we didn't eat out a lot. But when the restaurants were closed down, when all those restrictions were there, and their only option was takeout and stuff, we're small Uh business owners. So we wanted to support small business owners. So we ate out a lot more than usual, you know, to support the people who were possibly going to have to close their doors if people, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we changed our habits, not even because of stress, but to support our fellow small business owners. So it was like, oh man, (laughs) you know, like, geez, we're eating a little bit different than usual because of all these restrictions and because of all these things they did. So I know I had a baby at the beginning of this, like I said, so I was doing really well. My stress was down. My days were calm. When my daughter came home from school, she's eight, it got stressful. And I'm in the field of fitness and wellness. So I knew I had to work out every day, but holy moly, the, the level of stress from the variables of kids and the variables of social media and the variables of politics and not knowing what you were going to see day to day it, even knowing, even being the person that teaches people how to do it, it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah, no, I agree. And I used to be a personal trainer as well and have a a background in that. And there's so much to what exercise does for people mentally Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do just even with the body. Oh, yeah. And taking that away that's a stress. I mean, it's probably one of the reasons I'm so stressed now is because I hardly ever right. work out. But um, <laughs> but it but for many types of people, you know, that exercise is a is an outlet for the stress. And, and everybody knows, everybody knows, and everybody in the world understands that stress is bad for the body in many different ways. Mm-hmm. So as it builds up, you add stress plus fear plus eating crap food and less movement and all the other things. Right. I mean, it's just. I mean, a perfect storm in our body to be susceptible to illness and at a time where we're supposed to be as strong as possible to fight illness. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just ironic that they basically did nothing. Yeah. They did nothing at all to help as a population us be better equipped to handle whatever pathogen comes our way, whether it's a virus or a bacteria, doesn't matter. Whatever Wait, it is. There was no, there was no education. Zero. There was no preventative preventative quote-unquote medicine, preventative stuff is just not the focus. It doesn't make as much money. It doesn't bring as much, you know what I mean, to them. And it's really, it's really sad when they're not even willing to tell people that. Like people have known for years, you have to wash your hands with soap and water, right? And it's like, you could at least tell people, not everyone's going to follow it, but it would have downplayed the fear. It would have taken away from what they needed, 
honestly, for all of this to happen. And, you know, it's interesting, Melissa, because during my nursing career, I was out of work when the H1N1 was happening. And I remember quite vividly when I was going back to work, I was applying and that's when the shot was required for that particular virus. And the choice was, if you would like to work here, you are required to get it. However, if you were already working here, you did have an option to wear a mask or get the shot. And it wasn't pushed very much. It was very short-lived. You know what I mean? Because I started work in February and it was just till the end of flu season, pretty much the end of March. And then everything was back to normal. But I remember that. It was like, okay, uh, <laughs> so I want a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And at the time I didn't have kids. And at the time I didn't know, I knew I didn't want it, but I was like, I've already worked at that hospital. I knew I wanted to work there. I knew I wanted to be around those people. So I'm like, ah, I mean, I didn't know anything. I know now nothing. It would have been a different scenario if I knew all of it. And so then did you end up getting it? I did. Yeah, I did. I mean, I literally was there for my, it was like, I had done all the application stuff. I was there for the, you know, the physical for work or whatnot. And it was like, okay, you have to get this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like rock hard place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm literally there. I'm supposed to start work like the next oh, day. Geez. And I'm like, wow, you really, uh, you really got me here. I don't even have time to think about this or anything. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause technically that's not really informed consent. Because no. you should have been able to take no. back that package insert, gone through all the details, come back and, and made yeah. that choice. But that's not really how they do things with vaccines at all, especially nope. not with this one, because they don't have any actual data really to go off of to say that right. this is safe or effective or how long it's going to last or whatever. Now, you said you are currently working as a doula as well. And mm -hmm. we had another nurse on here a couple weeks ago that was talking about how much the pandemic changed the process for pregnant women and, and laboring and, you know, women that are delivering babies and needing or wanting a doula there, but can only, can only have one support person there. Have you been right. experiencing some of that over this last year with your, I guess, patients, clients that you've had? Well, so ironically, the timing was good for me that I didn't have to deal with it because I had my son January 28th. So I didn't have any doula clients in the coming months of all of this. But I worked directly with all of the local doulas and even my my doula, she changed shifts. You know, she went into essential oil, she was doing essential oils, but she shifted over to that to be able to have more resources for her moms and dads and did more virtual. So a lot of the doulas are there but virtually. Mm. And they're having to do more with the partner where it's like, hey, dad, you're going to have to be more involved here. So it shifted the mindset. It shifted the education of the parents. The birthing partner, if they were allowed, needed to be more up to date and aware of the things they had to do. And a lot of them would be on the phone or be on FaceTime or be virtual. And it does help. It does yeah, well, help. It's better than nothing, not for sure. Yeah, it's not yeah, the same. It is better than nothing. But it really is unfortunate because the doulas, these are people who are consistently in the hospital. They know the hospital staff. Right. They might not be on the hospital staff's, you know, list, but they are part of that community. And it's really unfortunate that they got pushed out like that because they're there all the time, you know, and it's just a reminder that the patient's best interest wasn't 
the priority. Right. And even when the idea of the spouse not being there, I mean, having children, holy moly. Like if you've never experienced it, then no, it's like, oh, I, I don't really know. But once you experience it, you're like, oh, yeah, I need someone. <laughs> someone needs to be there. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. And and the idea of laboring in a mask, too, is just like uh, literally out of control. I, I can't. No. I just the first thing I said when all this was happening was, well, one, like, thankfully, I'm not pregnant. That season has come and gone uh, for my two little right, ones. Right. <laughs> and my second one, I did a home birth, which I was really happy mm-hmm. with. And that's awesome. My first, I basically labored at home for 21 hours until just the last 40 minutes and got to the hospital right before Mm -hmm. I delivered. And so I think when I was, when this was happening, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not pregnant during this time. If I was, there is no question that I would have a home birth because there's no way I would put myself in a position to be in the hospital with all the potential false positive testing and who knows what they would do with that, plus wearing a mask and limiting my support system in there. What kind of birthing experience is that? I mean, that is not giving us what we need. Like you said, it is a very, granted, people have, you know, babies every day, but for each person, it's a pretty life-altering moment. It's very traumatizing for some women too. Like in all Mm -hmm. honesty, I feel like a lot of women don't talk about that until the conversation comes up, but mindset is huge, especially when it comes to pain. And a lot more home births occurred. Now, it's interesting because in the state of North Carolina, they're not allowed to do home births. So I'm in Virginia, and a lot of people come over the border to Virginia to have a home birth in Mm. a, you know, doula center, midwife center, different things like that. So it's so interesting because that shift did happen. And I don't know if they allowed it, you know, if they opened that opportunity because of the situation, but a lot more people had home births that weren't planning to. And that's a beautiful thing because one thing in the labor and delivery field is seeing the C-section rate go up and up and up. Yes. And I agree. I talked to so many women and I'm like, oh, I wish I was there. I wish you called me. I tell my friends all the time, even people I'm acquaintances with, call me. If you question something, if you don't know if that's the right thing for you and your baby, just give me a call. Like I will answer. I will respond to your message just to have that support. And I have so many friends that I'm like, this just doesn't sound like you should have had a C-section. And right. from personal experience, my sister, who is five one and her husband is five six three when she walked into the hospital it was a holiday weekend her doctor was on vacation the doctor that never goes on vacation and the doctor who was on said oh yeah you're definitely getting a c-section like <laughs> what <laughs> and she's like um <laughs> what's funny is this is it's almost like the the breast milk versus formula discussion though you're not allowed to right. have it Yes. Because uh, you talk about c- C-sections and, and people will be like, well, my, you know, I had to or else something would oh, have yeah. happened. Like, or my doctor told me I was in distress or whatever. Oh, of course. Of course. Oh, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with either way. But when, when people feel like it's their only option and it shouldn't have been. Well, that's my thing is I think they're using that theory of you need to, you're in distress, it has to happen. And then you're, what are you going to argue with the doctor? Like, you can't see what's going on. Like, you don't know. Right. But I think a lot of times there are doctors that are pushing that envelope of what really is distress or necessary or whatever. And you've got a scared mother who has never done this before. and, And you don't want anything to happen to your baby. So I think a lot of times they go along with it. But I've heard 
so many women after the fact. Yeah. And they have no idea. Yeah. Right. Even if they never had a C-section, but were kind of forced into the whole Pitocin epidural cycle. Right. And uh, didn't want to be and ended up having like, you know, just an experience that they didn't want. Either way, I hear a lot of people after the fact, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, that like you said, we're not happy with their experience and it's a little bit traumatizing Mm -hmm. the way that things went down. So you can just imagine the way things are now, try to do this with COVID too and uh, everything. I mean, it's just got to be so hard for, Mm -hmm. you know, people having babies at this point. Are you finding that? Like, are you finding a lot of people uncomfortable, you know, with the policies? Uh, Definitely. Uh, you know, uh, during pregnancy and everything like that, during, I know for myself, I mean, I have a new baby and we do not go to the doctor unless he needs to, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it has been the most freeing experience because with my first two, I was like, I don't understand why I'm coming here. I don't understand why I'm bringing my kids to where other people are sick and they're perfectly healthy and fine. And we don't really need anything. Like I'm, I'm just a little confused as to why we're coming here, you know? And I do feel like it has opened a lot of minds. It has at least opened the door to people learning more. And there are still people who 100% solely trust their doctor. And I have worked with amazing doctors, amazing nurse practitioners, amazing nurses. But in this situation right now, what I'm reminding people is if you're being told that this shot, that this situation, that all of this is safe, 100% good to go and no worries, that's not someone who should be in your caregiver, you know, realm right now, because there is no way for them to know that at this point, there's no way. And if they were giving you informed consent, then obviously all of the information would tell you it is not a hundred percent safe. It is not, you know, for everyone, there are so much unknown that you really are taking a chance and a risk. And if that's what you want to do, great. That is your decision. But for all the things that doctors refuse to back, like healthy, clean, vitamin-enriched shakes that a pregnant woman wants to take, you know what I mean? They're like, no, 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 be careful about that. And then they're like, oh, but this shot that has all of this artificial and chemical stuff, yes, like take the chance. So right. that that concerns me. And I give people that alert. If that's not concerning them, you might want to second guess who you're, you might want a second opinion. You know what I mean? And I believe holistic doctors are coming up in the rise because of all of this. People are learning more about holistic health, about working with holistic doctors, understanding their body more. So while all of this has been crazy, I do feel like there's a large percentage of people who have been willing to open their eyes and learn more about health and wellness, self-awareness, everything like that. So that's the mini blessing. Yeah, I agree with that. And then I want to wrap up with two different questions for you. One, where would you say your mind has gone over this last year and a couple months as far as how the world has changed or what's transpired with the whole COVID pandemic? You know, what realizations have you made? Any lessons that you've kind of learned through this whole thing? Because obviously it's been pretty life-altering, I think, for a lot of people in many different ways, even if it's just a belief system shift. How have you changed? Oh, Melissa, this is such a good question. I have such a smile on my face and chills literally coming through my body. My husband and I, we have had a struggling relationship for many, many years. And last year was such 
a clarity and a come together for us because for the first time we were able to bring our dream path together and we were both aligned on the same thing. And it's interesting because it opened the conversation of if we lost everything tomorrow, what do we have? Where do we want to be? Who do we want to be around? Who do we want with us? What kind of life do we want our kids to be living? And it was a true blessing. We really shifted our mindset. We had an Airbnb. We sold it. We bought land. We bought a camper. We made a lot of fun investments for a future that we truly believe in. And we said, fear is not going to get the best of us. And while anxiety and stress were elevated because we have three kids (laughs) and there was so much unknown, we really made decisions together and stopped questioning or needing other people's approval for certain things. And we really created a life that if everything was shut down tomorrow, because in our eyes, that is possible because we saw it happen. We said, where do we want to be? What can we do to be in control and in charge of our lives, Mm -hmm. to own our future and not have anyone making the decisions for us? So uh, I'm that's such a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really happy with your answer too. I mean, I'm happy for you that in the process, I can see what you mean. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, you come to that fork in the road of going, mm-hmm. I'm not going to just go along with life passively anymore. Right. I want to take control of the choices that I make and I want every moment to matter. And now that you know that there's a lot you're not in control of and things could go a completely different way, like it's all about, you know, staying present and getting focused. And so these types of situations either, you know, pull you together or tear you apart, so to speak. Oh, heck yeah. And, And you can understand why. And it's such a time or a potential time for personal growth because you're backed up against a wall. Mm-hmm. And you're pushed, you're pushed to a place where nothing looks the same anymore. And mm-hmm. all you can do, and, and really, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in like analyzing things, like looking at things and analyzing things. A lot of people don't. Like honestly, a lot of people just no, go through yeah. life like not ever stopping to ask the important questions. They really just don't. Yeah. They just kind of get up, go to work, come back. It's the same thing over and over. And now most of these people are just not happy, but they couldn't even tell you why. Because they don't actually take the time to assess it. But when you're pushed against the wall and the entire ground is shifting under your feet because the world no longer looks like it looked before, and there's really no chance to understand what's going to happen in two months from now, three months from now, a year from now, or if this happens again, like you said, it really does force you, if you want to be conscious, to come to terms with who are you? What do you want? What do you want moving forward? Like you said, who do you want surrounding you? All of that is, you know, important dialogue to be having. And I mean, really, people should be taking these types of experiences mm-hmm. and using them to their advantage to basically recreate or realign wherever they want to go and take control over their lives instead of just being passive victims of what everything's happening, right? Like I'm just going along with it because this is what happened and oh, this happened and this happened versus like, what do I want to happen? What am I going to create? I'm a big believer in that. And sometimes I think that these tumultuous situations, they force you into that and it might not feel comfortable. It certainly might not feel comfortable, right? but it forces you to grow and pushes you and stretches you and makes it so you're forced to either use the opportunity to grow and become better 
or crumble and falter and lose your power as a result, thinking you have no control over anything anymore. Right. And I think most people probably fall into the latter category. Yeah. So it's really great that that you took the opportunity as a chance to define what you want the future to look like despite anybody else, despite any anybody who thinks they're in control of you or has power over you and taking and becoming that, you know, that self-sufficient sort of happiness. Yeah, thank which you. Which sounds like it's just a really positive experience. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And the last question I want to ask is, as somebody with a medical background, what would you say to somebody who's still really afraid, who's afraid to kind of come to the grocery store without a mask or see other people without masks, afraid to be around somebody who has not yet had the vaccine or not going to get the vaccine, afraid of being out in society? What would you say to that person to kind of help them feel more comfortable? So I would say, you know, take baby steps. You don't have to dive you know, right back in. I am a germaphobe at heart. I always have been, even as a nurse. But it's funny that I just have certain things, certain ways, you know what I mean? Like, I wash my hands with soap and water all the time, all day long. It's just a habit. And just having those little habits really make a difference. For us, like, if we're out in a big crowd, this was before this even happened. If we came home, and we were around and a lot of people, we would change our clothes. My daughter literally takes a bath when she gets home from school every day. You know, I think it's just do the things that you are comfortable with. You don't have to do it all right. We don't have to be in every situation and little things like the grocery store, you have the option to order it and to pick it up where it's still getting you out of the house. You're still getting in the car, you're going to drive, you know, you're going to do something, but just take baby steps and know that your body was created to heal itself. Our bodies were created. I mean, growing a human inside of me was like, holy moly, what is going on right now? Like there is a human being in my body. Like it knew how to get into this egg. It knew how to grow. It knew how to create a whole organ system. If our bodies can do that, it knows what to do when a tiny little virus comes in and how to respond have your little habits, your things that you like to do. And if you don't know, then reach out to people who do live more holistic. I have my things that I do. If I have a scratchy throat, I put beads on the outside of my throat. I just have my little, my little systems, my little natural ways of kind of fixing things when they start, right? Not letting them get too bad. But in my head, I believe that my body has the most healing and the most power of anything else that I will ever be exposed to. So believe, believe in the body you have, believe in oxygen, believe in those things. And, and it won't allow the outside to scare you as much. I I hope that's helpful, but I think baby steps is the biggest thing, just little things at a time. I think that's great. I think that's great information. and, And I agree with you. The trusting in your body thing is important. And I appreciate your time so much for being able to have this conversation, Danielle. Mm -hmm. I know, I mean, there's obviously so much that we could talk about, but I think all of these little things are are so good and hopefully offer, you know, some comfort and reassurance to people to understand that those with a medical background are knowledgeable enough to know when it's okay to let our body do the work and it's okay to keep fear Mm -hmm. out of our lives to keep us in the most healthy position that we can be in. So I appreciate yes. your voice added to that discussion. Now, if people want to 
you know, get in touch with you or maybe they mm-hmm. are pregnant and, uh, you know, want to look for your services or find out about you, where would they contact you? Yeah. So the best place would be on Instagram. That's where I'm most active and share my health tips and everything like that. And my handle is mama fit for life. And it's M A M A fit for life. Spell it out. For like F O R, right? F O R. Yes. Yes. F O R L I F E. Yep. So that is the best place to find me and connect. Perfect. Well, again, I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with me. And as always, listeners, we'll continue coming back with more interviews with nurses and additional topics that really cover all of the things they aren't telling you. So thanks for listening.